I don't know if anybody cares about his boat. <laughs> but apparently that was a big part of the deal. So, Martin, I'm happy for you or sad that that happened. I don't know. Uh, about the boat. Hello, welcome well, uh, to Money Lap. <laughs> awesome start. I'm Parker Klugman, joined as always by Landon Castle. This is our podcast about all motorsports, but you already knew that. As always, check out themoneylap.com for the newsletter we have three times a week, the best five minutes in motorsports. And on Mondays, it's all the motorsports highlights, extended highlights from around the world. Uh, and then Wednesdays and Fridays, it's full of news and fun stuff in the world of motorsports. Uh, we start the PR lap, Landon. Our newsletter continues to grow. It's gaining hundreds of people uh, a week, basically, which is wild. So it's cool to see people interacting with that. Um, if you'd like to see something different, please let us know. Also, our Instagram and TikTok. Did you know we're famous on those platforms? Uh, we are on those platforms. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're famous. <laughs> <Do> uh, <laughs> we're big. Our clips of this podcast <laughs> do hundreds of thousands of views, um, but we're not yet at hundreds of thousands of listeners. So if you're like a marketing wizard out there, and can tell us how to connect those two better, please let us know. We'd take that advice. Um, awesome. Yeah, that would be nice. <laughs> I also, we're recording this on August 9th. Yesterday was my birthday. I spent it in the Raleigh airport, which was exactly how I wanted to spend it, which was awesome. But you know what I wish I had? Because I was kind of tired when I ended up there, and there was a whole flight debacle where I took off from Charlotte on my way to Connecticut and ended up in Raleigh, and I'm not going to bore everyone with the details, but... <laughs> I didn't get on the wrong flight. You should just know that. Um, but one thing was I was trying to get a bunch of work done, and I just wished I had better coffee. More specifically, Four Sigmatic coffee, because I usually have it with me. I have the um, instant ones, but I was out of them. And so I had to drink other coffee. But why did I want this coffee? Because I had to do a bunch of work for our money lap stuff and for my racing. And this coffee makes you smarter. It's infused with functional mushrooms that work to wake up your mind. They say people feel the effects in as little as seven days, and they're an awesome partner of this podcast. So please, try this coffee. Use the code MONEYLAP at forsigmatic.com. You can get their Think Starter Pack, which is 40% off, and then another 15% off using MONEYLAP, which is 55% off. But I'm not going to bore everyone with more, more details about it other than you need to go check it out because it is just simply the best coffee, um, and it would have helped me get more work done on my <laughs> birthday in this Raleigh airport. So if you find yourself in an airport trying to get work done, I can only hope that you have Four Sigmatic with you. So check it out. You you buried the lead there, Parker. What's that? I mean, I, I'm glad that you mentioned it was your birthday, but that was in quite an airport adventure. <laughs> um, because And I was able to follow along with it with you yesterday in our group thread with another industry member important industry member he who will not be named publicly Absolutely on this podcast not. but we in this group thread we talk often about um our travels and we share our uh, american airlines points um status updates and upgrade um got that upgrade uh <laughs> conversations <laughs> and you were almost stranded in raleigh with an interesting story what what happened parker well so I have I have this thing where I and feel you made like a we veteran, all, and by the way and let me just you made a veteran move to get through it to yes. to to get out of it. Well, you don't reach executive platinum 
uh, without doing a fair amount of flights. My record <laughs> is well over 120 in one year back in 2019. So it was every two and a half days. So I, I've, I've done my fair share on American Airlines to know when things are going right or wrong. In this case, I took off from Charlotte uh, around 2.30, headed to Connecticut, specifically Westchester Airport. We had a uh, – unfortunately had a passenger who went fell ill. They had to emergency land the plane um, in Raleigh. I think we were halfway to Connecticut, which means we basically turned around and went to Raleigh. Uh, and then, you know, sort of yeah. was like, all right, we're going to take this thing back off. And about, I don't know, 30 minutes in, they go, oh, actually, sorry, the crew has timed out. <laughs> we have no crew to fly this plane. So at that exact moment, I thought, huh, random, you know, different airport. There is no routes that ever go from Raleigh to Westchester where I was trying to go. Um but there is routes to go Raleigh to LaGuardia, which can get me just as close, basically. And so I immediately hopped on the app, booked a seat that was at a couple hours later on one of those LaGuardia flights. Um, and sure enough, I got home. And when I landed in New York at around 9 o'clock that night, the flight – they said they were getting a flight crew for it, by the way, as I was going to my other flight. And I made friends with all these people. They had not taken off yet. So I don't even know if they made it, but made the better move to dip – and spent a lot of my time in the Admirals wow. Club uh, in Raleigh Airport. Yeah, so I – by the way, I don't think anyone cares about travel woes. Like everyone you, – you say all these things to people and they're like, oh, that's <laughs> – sorry, I'm sorry. Oh, that sucks. Oh, my God, I had the same thing. But no one really, really cares, you know? <laughs> it's, like, um, it's like your fantasy football team. I don't really care. I know it's getting to be fantasy football season. Everybody's going to want to tell me about their draft picks and how much time they've spent on it. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to be honest, please save your breath. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so let, before we dive, we're, we're going to talk about racing. We swear on this. But hold on. So then I tweeted, and I thought this tweet was fire, but it went nowhere. Uh, and I was like, we need an AI chatbot that is like your A is like it acts like a human that you tell all your travel woes to and then it's like, oh I'm so sorry. Oh I had that same <laughs> issue. Oh it like consoles you and then it said and then it would give you options like, hey, you know what? Let's write them a really angrily worded letter. Or you know what? Let's get your points back. How can I <laughs> let's go let's figure out a way to get your points back from the airline and like one up them a little bit or something. <laughs> like that's the bot. If you're in Silicon Valley right is now it? and you're working on, you know, some bot to take over everyone's jobs, stop that immediately and work on this so that we can fight against big airline hang on a second parker what hang on maybe we're the problem here this is we are the problem in society that we are so cynical that we just have no empathy we don't care about others and we don't even mm. want to listen we don't want to hear about your travel woes we don't have the the time and the emotional capacity to care about other people god <laughs> I, i'm i just outed myself you it know is, what? That's deep. I'm changing my tune, Parker. I'm changing my tune. <laughs> okay. Tell, give me all of your fantasy football teams. <laughs> Tell me everything. I want to know more. I nope. want to know about how important it is to you. Nope. Here's the thing. I, I don't even care enough about my own travel woes. I'm sorry, but I don't care about your travel woes. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I've gotten this like zen place oh, where it's all man. going wrong. I also go into this like, you know what? There's way worse things in life. Just enjoy the the hilariousness of the journey and this whole experience. And so I try to really stay positive. Um, <laughs> and that's my, so I just, well, I don't care. Well, 
you know what? Let's let's pivot this into something else that maybe we can ask people to help us not be cynical in life. And don't be yes. cynical yourselves in life. Leave us a good review because, <laughs> you know, we uh, we didn't get any new Apple reviews this week. And that makes Parker sad. It and, does. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe Parker does have his own internal journey to go through, his his own personal journey to go through in terms of cynicism, and myself included. Mine, mine when it comes to... Um, your fantasy football teams or anybody else's and Parker when it comes to people's travel. Um, <laughs> so we're all going to work on that. And what we need you guys to work on is the Apple reviews. Tell us about this show. Tell us if you care or if you don't care. I don't know. I think we actually got our first four star reviews. So, <laughs> so uh, we were five stars all the way through and now somebody gave us a four star review. And I don't even know if we're, I don't see it in our list here. Sometimes it makes me wonder if it's one of those four-star reviews, like at a restaurant where it might, it, like someone leaves a four-star review of a restaurant where they're like, absolutely love this restaurant. The menu was incredible. The service was great. Four stars because some random thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it might or, as well have been a five-star experience. Or, or the, the Four old, stars no... because I couldn't find a parking spot. I don't Yeah, there's no perfect I like that. You know, like just like race car drivers, there's no perfect lap. It's uh, there's no perfect <laughs> podcast right. in their eyes. Four stars is as high as it goes. We also, yeah, we're at 94 on our quest to 100. Uh, I used to just be able oh, to so say, close. yeah, I used to be able to just say that's all five stars. But as you pointed out, we did get one four star um, and no new written ones. So please let us know. Be passionate. Just like the chat bot about travel or the opposite of what people think of your travel woes. Send us. We do care what you have to say about this. We did get a YouTube comment. Uh, ACAV704 said, keep pounding the drum of Richmond dirt. I brought the idea up about four years ago. I absolutely love driving Richmond. Probably my best track on iRacing, but I'm absolutely, it's absolutely worth a try. I will 100% will never go to a Richmond Cup race, but I'll definitely be more interested in making the drive to see dirt, which is interesting. And NASCAR guy 8072 said, man, I'm glad to find this podcast. So that's nice. Nice of them. Man, sometimes the the simplest ones are the best. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Um, I raced in Michigan this past weekend, and I don't want to go too di- too too deep into that. But my big machine racing team did a great job. Uh, our whole team was probably our best downforce race of the year, speed wise, uh, which is pretty cool. We're basically aside from New Hampshire, um, where we would would have easily finished top ten, maybe had a top five car where we wrecked on the restart. We basically since Sonoma been the top 10 every race. So that's been pretty cool. Uh, we're pretty consistent. And, but one person I had to race against was the 10 car, which I find myself racing this car a lot in that car was Ross Chastain, who is the single best aero blocker in, on the planet. And what I mean by that is he won a race earlier this year at Nashville, uh, the cup race, being able to hold off Martin Truex Jr., where he would just adjust his line perfectly to never let Martin have the clean air that he needed to get to his bumper to get by him. And I noticed this last, maybe a year ago, in the truck race at Darlington racing uh, Ross for like third or something, and he had this amazing ability as we head off in the corner that like often you are able as a driver to see like the little indications of where they're going to go, bottom, top, middle, what they're going to do with their car at the entry, and you kind of think, okay, they're going bottom, I'm going top. Or vice versa, right? When you're trying to get by them and use multiple lanes and get clean air. And sometimes you have to trick them and that sort of thing to really get the run you need or they try to take your lane away. But he's incredible at making you think so late into the corner he's going to do one thing and then he does the other thing. So you, you, you think, all right, I'm entering the corner. Oh, he's definitely going to high. He's going high. 
I'm going low. And the second you just creep that car low, he somehow is driving the corner perfectly, looking in his mirror, and just gets in front of you. <laughs> I'm like, he's <laughs> unbelievable at it. Um, I even talked to him afterwards and was like, dude, I have to just – I now – I don't get frustrated anymore with it because I sit there and I take notes thinking like, okay, if I'm ever going to be that level, I've got to figure out what this guy's doing. Um, but he's, he's the best yeah. in the world, man. I don't know how he does it. So two things real quick. I know, um, we don't have to dwell on this, but you sparked an interest. So I want to go down the path. Um, first of all, I do think that the arrow blocking is such a big deal in the cup cars that he's just very well trained at it. Right. Yep. And you guys, you guys get cup drivers in the field. Um, but, but not so often, right, um, that you get to race head-to-head -head with someone like Ross at an aero track, right? We, don't have, we have less intermediate tracks on the schedule than ever. So um, I think it was – that's part of it is just a little bit of a treat. And then also you're racing against a guy who, you know, that's, that's such a big factor in those cup cars. He's pretty well trained at it, um, and he's definitely good at it. Second of all, one thing that stands out to me about Ross aero blocking at Michigan, like specifically to this weekend, and – the the, your answer to this question will determine what I think here. Um, did you feel like did I lose Parker? He gone. Okay. So I, I, clicked, I clicked the wrong button. Yeah. I, I clicked leave when I meant to click chat, and apparently those two buttons do entirely different things. <laughs> okay, so, so I was dragging saying. my question out. I was dragging my question out so long that you just left the podcast. You were <laughs> yes. like, I can't. Um, my question was when you were racing around him, did you feel like he was backing up turn one quite a bit more than you were? Um, no. Okay. No, because I felt like in turn one, that was one of my strengths was my entry ability. And therefore I had, I was comfortable enough to be able to really do a large arc when I needed to and try and run the top. And then if, <clears throat> if anything else, I could throw a bunch of speed to the top and turn the car down across the lanes to get it to turn, and I would get a run at him doing that. Mm -hmm. And so it would give me the run towards three, which eventually I did get the pass done, which I got beside him off two, and then he and I went side by side in the three. I drove it really hard down the bottom, and he kind of let me go. And that's when I got the pass done. Then we had mm -hmm. green flag stops. Well, that kind of blows out my theory. I, I had... Well, I just feel like I've watched his driving style and I've seen him. I've raced against him at Michigan for position, kind of in that scenario before. I've I've studied his driving style, um, and I felt like one thing that he typically does at Michigan um, is kind of back up the corner, um, and he's really good at like getting like getting in deep, but then also slowing the car down quickly. And then carrying lots of speed through the middle, as opposed as opposed to like maybe bombing the car in, um, or carrying a lot of part throttle down into the corner. Um, and I just feel like that when you say that he's really good at making a last minute adjustment to his line, I was kind of in my head thinking, I wonder if that driving style of backing up turn one or getting his his speed slowed down quickly gives him options to still make a lane choice in the first third of the corner. Where mm. if you're like fully committed driving in deep into the corner, you kind of have to commit pretty early to what line you're going to run, right? Yep. So it takes away your ability to to react to the guy behind you. If your if your agenda is like oh, I'm I'm bombing it in, or I got to run part throttle all the way down into the middle of the corner, um, and then the guy behind you changes lanes, it's a little bit harder for you to adjust to that. But if you 
are more conservative on entry and you're smarter, you know, more patient with the car on entry, you could kind of back up the entry, check your mirror. If the guy behind you makes an adjustment, you can adjust with it. And I was curious if there's, if those two are maybe related, but um, maybe not. It's a good point. I don't know. You know, I think it's maybe what was really going on. Yeah. I don't know. I, 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 I've started to figure out a little bit of how he does it. Um, but I haven't fully. And I'm I'm not going to go too deep and I'll we can I don't want to put it out there basically what I've figured out. But I'm pretty open. That's fine. Normally. We can but talk about it later. In this I think I figured out what he's he, he I, the best way I can put it out there is he hedges his bet. If you know what I mean on the entry. Mm. And if you when you start to follow him for lap after lap, you're like, and you get close to him, you make a run at him, you'll notice he's sort of the the signal is less that he's choosing top or bottom, and that he starts to hedge, and he takes like almost an educated guess mm-hmm. at which way you're going, and then you you react. He reacts the opposite of that hedge, so he tricks you. Yeah, it's pretty good Interesting. stuff. Yeah, yeah. I was kind of <laughs> hoping you would. Uh dive more into it but you want to keep a secret so i get it well okay you know what screw it what do i care uh so my what i started to figure out was that when you go bottom or top you know why because yes well spoiler alert here i'm just gonna get into it so (laughs) you go top or bottom you kind of commit as you put it and you can sort of see the attitude of the car on entry and sort of the line choice and and the rate at which you catch them maybe on entry is they go bottom you go top you roll a little bit more speed, that sort of thing. To the bottom, the separation happens. What I noticed a little bit of what he's doing is he's he's not indecisive. He's hedging in a way that he's like, I think you have a higher percentage chance of going bottom because you've ran top three times and not gotten to me. And so he's doing that math in his head. And basically, he is you know, convincing you you're gonna, he's going to do one thing because he's thought the percentages is you're going to go down there. And then at that last moment, he looks and he thinks, oh, no, you're not. You're going top. And that's when he moves up. And so he's trying to almost, in some respects, do, he's doing math in real time of what he believes he's going to do. He's basically card counting uh, <laughs> to the corner, which means he's trying to really spoil your uh, entry into the corner every single time. And he's really good at it. And so there you go following his spoiler and unable to not you know get clean air and make the pass well the goal is to get to a spoiler and if you're a diehard racing fan you know all about spoilers which means you need to check out spoilerdiecast.com with one of the largest inventories in the industry they have over 800 unique products currently in stock including diecast and apparel offerings for nascar dirt and sprint cars indycar and f1 and with their pre-order system in place you can be sure to get your hands on the latest diecast releases without the long wait what's even better parker all orders ship same or next day and they offer free shipping on orders over 20 dollars. plus use the promo code moneylap to receive free shipping and 5% off all orders that's right 5% off folks the most aggressive offer in the racing industry i think don't wait. Head to Spoiler Diecast today and get your racing fix. Or if you're Parker, get on Ross the Spoiler into turn one at Michigan. Get him loose. Get underneath him on turn two exit. Got him. <laughs> Got him. Uh, also, you can get the link for Spoiler Diecast and the link for Four Sigmatic uh, in the description of this podcast episode. So check those out at SpoilerDiecast.com. Four Sigmatic, F-U-R, F-O-U-R, 
Sigmatic, S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com. Those are our partners of this podcast. They make it possible. We bring this all to you for free. And all we ask is you go check out those two great partners. Uh, let's talk NASCAR in our big discussion topics. Lots going on. This past weekend, RFK, Roush, Fenway, Keselowski, back-to-back wins. And not only is that incredible, but it's Chris Buescher in the 17 car <laughs> doing that for them. I, so I interviewed Chris and Brad Keselowski in the pre-race show on Sunday at Michigan for NBC, and I facetiously said they were the hottest team in NASCAR because they had just won the most recent race and led a lot of laps at, that, at Richmond. And so it was kind of like a, a fun joke to say, like, yeah, they're really hot. They're fast here again. They qualified both cars in the top 10 or just about and that sort of thing. But I didn't expect them to go back to back at Michigan. I knew they had a chance, but this is wild. Um, and they're now the leading Ford team right now. And what's funny about them, for all intents and purposes, they do not get the most fa- manufacturer help either. So this is a really, really big deal for this team to be doing what they're doing. And they have you know Brad basically in on points. And now Chris is locked in the playoffs. They're going to get both cars in the playoffs for the first time in forever. And I one of the most interesting conversations I had with Scott Graves before the Michigan race was I said, you know, this has to be like a pretty cool moment for you. And he said, you know what's so cool is that for probably the last, I don't know, six, seven, eight years at RF or at, you know, what used to be Fenway, uh, Roush Fenway, now Roush Fenway Keselowski, Mm -hmm. is they had to almost moneyball themselves in the playoffs every year. It was how are they going to find an angle? How are they going to you know, commit to super speedways with Stenhouse and get that win? Or how are they going to point their way in in some you know, arbitrary fashion of using uh, all sorts of different strategies and that sort of thing? And so it was always this idea of like there wasn't the speed to do it, so we've got to outthink the competition. For this, but this time yeah. around, right now, they are just simply fast enough. And it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, it's pretty impressive, and I think it's definitely a testament to, obviously, the men and women at RFK and the drivers there um, and the improvement they've made since Brad has come on board. But also, I think that it's another example of the next-gen doing, from a performance and a parody side of things, accomplishing NASCAR's goals uh, with the next-gen. You know, they didn't... uh, RFK... Again, not taking anything away from the actual work they've done. They've done an incredible job, but they didn't magically come into more money or a new, you know, technical um, partnership with a manufacturer or you know anything like that. They've, I think that they have, you know, they're hitting on all cylinders and and operating well right now. But I think the equipment also came to them and leveled the playing field. And the next gen is working that way, and it and it you know it provides teams like them who do have smart people, they do have resources um, to hit on something, and you know hopefully for their sake that they're not peaking right now. Hopefully they're still on the way up, um, so that they can perform in the playoffs. See, another thing I want to point out that's really interesting in this era of motorsports, and I don't even think this is just next gen, um, because I think we saw a little bit of this through the Truex domination and the, the final sort of stages, um, the Larson domination, the final stages of the, of the Gen 6 car. I think in this kind of simulation era of NASCAR, um, you, when you hit on something as a team, it works everywhere, right? And you run mm-hmm. well everywhere. Where in mm. the previous 
world of building track specific cars and you know like manufacturing individual race cars there were you know short track successes and intermediate track successes and sometimes the two sometimes the two went well i mean obviously you had teams that ran well everywhere and they were just dominant teams you sometimes you had teams that really excelled at intermediate tracks but didn't that struggled on their short track program and you hear that all the time and now it's like in this world of simulation um somehow the track itself is less of a factor of what determines your su- success and more of like your total operation and if you're and if you're hitting on all cylinders you can go to a short track and intermediate track and then a road course and you're just clicking on all you know the <laughs> same team can kind of go on a three four five week run um of success and then when they cool off it's like they cool off completely they they you know somebody else takes their place for three or four or five weeks it's really it's one thing i'm kind of noticing um that's interesting that's fascinating and you're so right because it it must be a little bit of like the the field is so close and one of the, the themes right now when you spend time in the cup series garage in 2023 talking to crew chiefs and drivers and team managers and that sort of thing is they will all consistently tell you this is the tightest field they've ever had to work and race in. And Mm -hmm. it's unbelievable how close it is and how tight the competition is to each other and how the smallest little things have huge effects. And so one of the things, as you point out, is that if you find speed with this car, you know, you look at what RFK just did. They were really fast at Richmond, a short track with high tire, tire fall off. You went, then went to mm-hmm. Michigan, a two-mile <clears throat> oval with very little tire fall off, almost flat out. Mm-hmm. And they were really fast at both. Like that's a great example of what you just brought up. And this is it is such a change yeah. of what we've known forever. And this is you know what's funny is like you and I talk about this on this podcast a lot, but there are so many things that we as a sport. And as as an industry are discovering about this era of NASCAR in real time, because it's still very unknown. Yep. Yep. Interesting. Absolutely. So I I think, uh, yeah, I think it just shows it's more indicative, big picture of just their total processes um, as an organization. And it's translate, you know, organizations in general, their processes are more applicable across the board to all tracks. Um, and not just, hey, we're really good at short tracks or, hey, we're really good at intermediates. So um, that actually, you know, you could you could even go deeper into that and, and that could raise a question of like, well, my whole, remember our other theory about should a team specialize, right? Should they specialize mm-hmm. in road courses or specialize in super speedway racing? Um, this kind of maybe could refute that theory that it's just like, no, you maybe you just need to get good <laughs> because if you're good, you're good everywhere. Uh, and you just got to keep keep doing what everybody's doing and figure out how to get good. It's that simple, right? Yeah, exactly. Perfect. Um, another thing that happened this past weekend, Noah Gregson was suspended by Legacy Motor Club and by NASCAR indefinitely uh, for liking a racially derogatory meme uh, on Instagram and was replaced by Josh Berry for this past weekend um and obviously a, a very unfortunate situation um there for legacy motor club and and all involved but they also announced that mike rockenfeller will be in that car for indianapolis um at the road course and then also watkins Glen, who you may remember mike rockenfeller's name from driving the garage 56 car uh at Lamar 
and being a part of that program and doing that with Jimmy Johnson. Um, but it's, you know, for the Legacy Motor Club and Noah, you know, there was a lot of rumors out there already about his standing within that team. It's been a very tumultuous rookie season. That team obviously going through a lot of changes in announcing that Toyota, they were switching to Toyota in 2024 and did that kind of early, which cut them out of the help from RCR and from Chevy. And so they've been on a bit of an island. Um, and so that is definitely a team that is going through a very uh, tumultuous time, is the best way to put it. Um, and mm-hmm. I think, you know, what's interesting, though, and I, I the Noah stuff and everything, obviously, uh, you know, that will be worked out between NASCAR and Noah and the team and so on and so forth. But what I think is interesting is when you look at the choice of replacing drivers, of course, Josh Berry jumps in there as the easy replacement since he's sort of been the sub everyone's using right now. Uh, which happens at times, but mm-hmm. then putting in a Mike Rockenfeller, although they have the relationship between Jimmy and him for the Garage 56 deal, you know, this is something's happening here. Uh, Shane Van Gisbergen, right, goes and wins at Chicago. You've got Kamui Kobayashi in this race. You've got Jensen Button. You've got Mike Rockenfeller, who filled in in the 77 car at Watkins Glen last year. It's, is this, you know, this, is this a trend? Is this something that with eight road courses or seven, whatever we're at right now in the Cup Series, when you're a team in need of a driver, do you no longer, because the, the Xfinity car is so different, the trucks are so different, do you just go for the international driver, uh, right, in these scenarios, right? there? Historically, this would have been uh, a, a situation where a team looks at the Xfinity series, the truck series, and says, that's our driver. Instead, they're, you know, they're, it's almost like the breadth or the, the what am I trying to say, the selection of drivers has opened up so much because mm-hmm. of what we're discovering with this next gen car relating to global motorsport. A hundred percent. We talked about this off the podcast. We've talked about this on the podcast. This is kind of an interesting dynamic, I think in the driver market that we'll continue to be following and making note of and making points. Um, you know, in a, in a little bit here on the pod, we're going to talk about, uh, another driver signing situation um, that was announced today that you know could be a sign of bottom signals in the driver market that um, and we'll talk about that um, you know you heard us talk about bottom signals in the driver market I think uh, week uh, last maybe last week or the week before uh, but this Mike Rockefeller Rockefeller and this this uh, example that you're talking about right now is is an example that's kind of counteracting the NASCAR driver bottom signals. It's it shows that the teams have some leverage um, if they can you know easily venture outside of NASCAR to find drivers. Um, it's going to make it a little bit more difficult for Xfinity drivers or even existing Cup drivers to prove their worth. Um, yep. I think mechanically, one of the reasons that this cup car itself could be, um, I think there's a couple of big reasons. You know, the schedule has more road courses on it, but the, this cup car itself is such a departure from the Xfinity car platform. They're no longer on the same platform, yep. meaning they don't run the same tire. The suspension is completely different. The way the car's driver com- is completely different. You know, they used to be the same car, right? Mm-hmm. They used mm-hmm. to be virtually the same car. Different downforce, different horsepower, but all in the same platform. And so, you know, a, if you wanted to have an immediate success going to the Xfinity garage or even, you know, pulling from a pool of cup drivers that had 
or our current NASCAR licensed drivers, that would have been your best chance because those are the drivers that know the feel of these cars. Well, now the next gen is so unique. Um, and then even then, it's actually closer and more similar to uh, a sports car than it is an Xfinity car. Uh, it's, it's opened up this driver market to where we are looking at Australia at, at supercars drivers. And we're looking at sports car drivers like Mike, Mike Rockefeller and Kobayashi. Um, and that is definitely opening up the strategy for drivers to say, okay, there are, there's more than one way to get into NASCAR than just the NASCAR feeder series. And I spoke to uh, Daniel Suarez and Ross Chastain in the last couple weeks when they've jumped in uh, these Xfinity races and done the college cars and, you know, especially mm-hmm. Daniel Suarez, who had not been in one in a while was like, I'm lost. This car drives nothing like what <laughs> I'm doing every weekend. And it's, it really just doesn't connect at all. And so you look at it. I love the, yep. you know, from a, from an outside perspective, as a fan, I love the Xfinity series has a true identity. Now it is where you go. If you want to see, one, you know, sort of up-and-coming stars, that sort of thing. But two, it's classic stock car racing that we've known for the last 20-plus years. It's, it's that product right then and there on Saturdays. If you want the product you used to watch on Sundays for the last 20 years before the next gen, there it is for you. But with that, yeah. it is so different that you look at a driver like Josh Berry who has cup car experience, is going to cup next year. Him hopping... From that Xfinity car, the last minute into the Legacy Motor Club car on Saturday was probably a massive undertaking for him. And if you look at the speeds that he had in practice jumping in that car and then into qualifying, it showed, right? And in years past, if you had the old style cup car and the old Xfinity car, it was a very seamless transition, right? It was maybe a little bit more horsepower, a little different feel here or there, but it was very seamless. Now, think about just think about if you're a driver in the Xfinity Series this weekend at Indy that got called up to drive in a cup car. You would go from shifting a manual four-speed transmission to a sequential gearbox. <laughs> Let's just start there. You would go from a big, fat tire and a, <laughs> wheel, a car that's walling around on soft springs to a rigid, short, you know, very small sidewall tire uh, and rigid suspension. Like, it's so different. Um, this, this really, I think like you just said, and like we've sort of alluded to, this is changing what your, your opportunity to move up is going to look like in the coming years, uh, if they continue to stay this different. And I, I, I you know, personally, as so an outside, I want to go one step go further ahead. with that point. I yeah. want to go one step further with this point. Um, and I, I'm not trying to raise alarm bells right now, but at what point? Does NASCAR care about that? Because NASCAR has feeder series. Like, NASCAR has, in theory, a ladder system. And probably, if I were NASCAR, I would want to have an effective ladder system where the drivers go through NASCAR's ladder system to get to NASCAR. So if somehow the, the sport is, in a way where drivers don't want to use the ladder system, they can, they can get to the top level of the cup series without going through the NASCAR ladder system, they're going to end up, you know, training in other disciplines of racing is that when does NASCAR start to care about that right now? I don't think it's a bad thing because, Mm -hmm. you know, we're getting the, the drivers that we're getting 
are big names, right? I think they're bringing attention to the sport. So it's a good, you yep. know, if you're NASCAR, you're probably enjoying that, right? Shane Van Gisbergen and, and Kobayashi and like, you know, these are drivers that are definitely bringing some value with them to the sport. But at what point does NASCAR go, oh shoot, are, you know, <laughs> is, it, is it possible even for NASCAR <laughs> to look at it and go, oh shoot, none of our drivers are coming from NASCAR, <laughs> from the NASCAR ladder system. We need to make a change. You know, we need to make some adjustments to the ladder system. Shit, you are so right. <laughs> it's, there's going to be an inflection point, and it's going to be when your Xfinity Series champion is passed up for the you know for a ride, be, because you know forever they're not a big enough you know they, they're someone over from the international world is is able to just skip the whole series and jump in there, right? Like that that's going to be your <laughs> well, isn't that already? Point. I guess is that already happening? Well, it's already happening. I mean, yeah, I guess look Shane, at Daniel Hemrick. Well, and, and Shane Van Gisbergen, I guess that's going to happen, right? All the rumors that he's going to come over here, he's going to run trucks and Xfinity and Cup next year in a part-time schedule, and he's going to be full-time in 2025. Like, that's that's a rumor out there, right? So it is happening. And I, I So a couple things to break down there. I think NASCAR can protect its ladder system, which is important. I, I think one of the things that NASCAR has struggled with in the last 20 years is a not well-defined ladder system. And when you look at open-wheel mm-hmm. racing, especially <clears throat> Formula 1 right now, they have – dove in the last five years into really really making a a a very linear path to formula one you start in f4 and a little before that exclusive club it's exclusive and it's you're on a direct path to formula one and this is the only path to get there and they have done an amazing job of that and if you look what they've done doing that they've won has brought attention to those lower series that they never would have had before They've made, they've made a platform for those drivers to become stars before they ever get to Formula 1 and to build followings. And therefore, when they get there, they have value, and they're, they're the best of the best. There's already a ton of fanfare and media around them, and they're a well-known name. That's what you want out of a ladder system. You also want yep. to provide some financial I, incentive, right? So hold on, la- last thing. I think NASCAR has two decisions mm-hmm. to make. One, it's licensing system. You, you have to make a licensing system that requires you to have some form of points from trucks and Xfinity that allows you to be eligible to go cup racing, right? That's one thing I think that should be really important, just like the super license system in Formula One where, yeah, you can gain points by running IndyCar, but it shouldn't be the same amount of points that you're getting out of driving Xfinity because it's not a NASCAR product, right? That would silo it a little bit. Two, I think you can financially incentivize people to go in your ladder system, which means – Hey, win the Truck Series Championship, here's $3.5 million to go to Xfinity. Uh, win the Xfinity Series Championship or finish top three, here's X amount of money to go to Cup the next year. Uh, we'll pay that. Whoever Cup team hires you, we'll give them a $750,000 bonus. Boom. You know, like, or a million-dollar bonus, mm-hmm. whatever it is. <clears throat> and that's, yeah. that is how you do those two things and you make your, your ladder system stay intact. Otherwise, this will continue to, to devolve into a murky, you know, uh, haphazard and all over the place right we're right now right now it's possible that it's 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 almost like a little bit of it's it's potential the theory here that we're making is that it's fool's gold right that yes in the short term we're benefiting from this extra attention from international drivers don't get me wrong i love it 100 i love these drivers coming to the sport it's entertaining they have personalities they're racers they're good they deserve it right but is there a long-term risk that NASCAR loses in its its exclusivity and its influence 
on its own ladder system, the value of its own ladder system, if drivers can go straight to the top level of NASCAR without even touching any of their feeder series. Yep. I, I think it's a, that's, I think that's it's a, a massive huge, that's risk. That's an interesting that's, – that's a massive risk. No doubt. Um, we should jump into some just Xfinity news. There is, was a massive L1 penalty for Cole Custer. Uh, they had a splitter that apparently uh, – some inside news had a bit of curvature in it, which you're not allowed to have. Um, and, Ooh. you know, hey, locked in the playoffs – couple races of the playoff, go to a big downforce track like Michigan, think, huh, wonder if we could get away with this. I'm just, I'm not saying this is what happened. I'm just, I'm just, you know, I'm just in, uh, saying in a hypothetical. Why wouldn't you put that splitter on there? Oh, they took 20 points and five playoff points. That doesn't mean much. We're still locked Oops. in. Oops. Oh, well. Moving on. Yep. So, uh, funny enough, the 98 didn't get penalized for that. Maybe they didn't have it. Maybe because he's not locked in the playoffs. I don't know, Landon. That's weird. <laughs> Speaking of Xfinity. Yeah, I mean, uh, both of the cars seem to run fairly well and, and equal yeah. to each other. It's crazy that one of them had the splitter and the other one didn't, even though they were both, you know, pretty equal on the racetrack. Well, I think they took it before Double <laughs> Zero got the track, so we know, we'll never know how fast it could have been. Um, oh, oh, I got you. I got you. Never mind. Yeah, yeah it was beforehand. So... Uh, <laughs> Okay, now okay, I'll admit you yeah. got me. Now I'm just I'm just stirring the pot. I'm just stirring the pot. <laughs> That's not fair. That's not fair. Yeah, good times. Good times. Uh, Xfinity. Let's talk about good seven. Stuff. Yeah, seven out of seven races on the NBC portion of 2023 with ratings increases, including this past weekend being one of the most watched races in a long time on NBC, over 1.6 million people making it the most watched sporting event on TV on Saturday this weekend. And awesome. one of the most watched sporting events of the weekend coming in second behind the NASCAR <clears throat> cup series and ahead of the IndyCar series, uh, in terms of people that watched. So pretty amazing. You know, you look, this is now, uh, continuing to be the most watched Xfinity series, uh, season on NBC and USA since 2017. So, this is uh, this is unprecedented, you know. Yeah. Just in line cu- with off. Cup, that it's all happening. It's going up. Hats off to NASCAR and the whole series, of the the car, the package, the drivers. It's all very compelling and entertaining. And and honestly, you know, the broadcast partner NBC, I think, is just for for some reason just breathes a new energy into this to the season. And I don't know if it's just the fact of changing it up midway through the season or what, but they've you know, it's there's a different energy on that broadcast. That's awesome. Yeah, they they, uh, they bring a lot. It's awesome. Um, let's talk bottom signals. We like to say we we brought this up uh, last week, which you you brought up, which I thought was really intelligent, and that is the idea that maybe we're starting to see the bottom for the NASCAR driver market. Although the international drivers might be messing that all up, who knows, or making it better for that on um, whatever way you want to look at it. Uh, yep. Michael McDowell and Todd Gilland announced. In the beginning of August, that they have been re-signed to Front Row Motorsports. First of all, this is the earliest Front Row Motorsports driver announcement ever, possibly. <laughs> Bob Jenkins, <laughs> In recent memory. Yeah, Bob Jenkins does not make decisions this early, so something incentivized him to lock these two down. Uh, first of all, Michael McDowell, you know, I, I, if you let him go, you just basically have to pack it up and decide that you're, you don't want to compete anymore because that guy has done an incredible thing there. 
Todd Gillen has been good this year, um, multiple top tens, and has had some stellar speed and runs. So, I this is this is unprecedented. It has to be the bottom. Yeah, it and 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 but we'll dive into that in just a second. I do want to give first of all, you gave the hats off to Michael. He well deserved, and then I, I do want to give an extra nod to Todd because. Todd was faced with a really tough challenge at the beginning of this year because he was essentially demoted, uh, or at least felt like mm. that. I mean, he still turned out to be able to run full time, and um, but he kind of got his hand slapped, or well, I don't know if that's the right word to say, but I mean, they put Zane Smith in. They were exploring another driver. Um, they still gave him some races, but they did the whole run around and sponsorship and yada 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 BS. But at the end of the day, like I guess it's performance that drives these decisions, and. Um, Todd could have keeled over and and gotten upset or left, you know, given up given up on the organization or his opportunity, found something else. Um, but he dug in and he's run really well. Uh, I think he's run really well this year, and he obviously well enough to not just earn his ride back, but like you said, like we're going to discuss here in an unprecedented fashion at FRM that they are signing their drivers in August. Um, and the reason we make such a big deal about that is, is, you know, part of front row's model for so many years was to simply not make a decision on the driver until January, Yep. which seems crazy, but it has done, they have done it for a de- over a decade. When I drove there, when you've talked to them in the past, like it's, it's always been January. Oh yeah. Um, always. And, and. And so, you know, they've always been around. They've always been around in the sport. You know, you can you can make your own judgments on their performance year over year, but like it's you know, they've made it. Um but it's they've they've just simply never made driver decisions this early. Um <laughs> and so something is in the water. And that's why we talk about it being a dry. Is this another sign of the driver market bottom? And this might be, you know, our discussions through this whole silly season, right? We're in August now, and we're going to start hearing rumors and seeing more announcements about driver announcements. And we'll, as they come in, I suppose we'll have this discussion. Is this a bottom signal or is this a neutral signal or is it, you know, something else? Um, but to me, this one is, is a bottom signal that front row said, okay, we got to lock up our drivers. You've got Spire, who committed to Corey LaJoy on a multi-year deal um, last week. So, obviously, something there to get these done far earlier than in the past. And what's interesting to me is when you see early announcements like this and not a lot of sponsor announcements attached. To me, that is a healthy sign. Another example. Yeah, that's another bottom signal uh, and a sort of healthy uptick in that financially – the the incentivization yeah, that, is that there tells to you, lock the driver down. That's a team that is that is saying we're prioritizing performance, and we are confident that our business model is stable. Yeah. Right. Because they say we're willing to sign a driver. It's the driver we want. We obviously offered them a you know a, a, a attractive enough package to commit to us. Um, and we will discuss partnerships and sponsorship and funding later. You know, maybe some of those deals as funding and sponsorships are already done. That's fine too. But, um, you know, if the deals were contingent on sponsorship or if the sponsor was really driving that decision, you know, oftentimes you'll see the sponsor in the announcement. 
Um, yep. But these announcements weren't really that way. So, you know, it's like I said, it's it's telling me that these teams picked their driver, you know, and the driver picked them as, as well. And then also uh, the teams are confident about their business models. It's uh, pretty interesting. You love to see it, man. It's uh, <laughs> far cry from 10 years ago when we were breaking into the series. <laughs> it's, uh, it feels like a whole different world. Um, and it's, it's I, you know, I, I actually had a long discussion with a cup driver this past weekend and about the state of all this. And he felt similar, you know, in that he just got one of the better deals of his career and that sort of thing. And, and he felt similar in that there was obviously a reward for performance that, you know, maybe, maybe five or six okay. years ago, yeah. you know, wasn't the case, right? It, it wasn't always like, Hey, perform and there will be a spot. It wasn't a guarantee. And now you know, maybe it's in a little better spot where you can perform you can sort of rely on performance a little bit and and know like, yeah, that's mm-hmm. gonna work out. I think one thing we should point out is that they also uh put it out there that Zane Smith, who has driven for them in the truck series the last couple of years, um is free to look elsewhere, which he's been rumored to be one of the leading candidates for the Stuart Haas racing uh cars if there is the 10 available or whatever one of those is available um you know there's still the 31 out there there's still some rumors around some other cars in the series so that's pretty interesting um that a talent like that is you know maybe on the is open to going to those other places considering that you know there was a lot of uh conjecture around frm having the option of putting him in the cup series for investing him in the truck series um I did have a Cup Series driver tell me that they felt like he was the most exciting prospect coming to the Cup Series, which I found fascinating. And then I saw a quote by Denny Hamlin that said he felt like the Truck Series was a better uh, – how do I put this? was a better place to see talent than the Xfinity Series because the trucks are so close, which I don't disagree that the trucks are far closer. If you look at like 1st to 20th or 18th in terms of equipment, they're really close. But the Xfinity series, you know, obviously you have more discrepancy equipment because there's more openness to the equipment and that sort of thing, um, which I found interesting. So I don't know if I agree, you know, wholeheartedly because I find the Xfinity series to be a very, very competitive series. But I thought that was <laughs> well, an interesting I, hot take. I think just quickly off, the, I, that's, I haven't heard that. Um, I think if I'm drawing my own conclusions on what he meant versus what he said and maybe like kind of unpacking it a little bit um, is if you took the drivers and the depth of talent in the Xfinity field and put them all in trucks, then maybe you would get a better read on who is ready for cup. Say that. Wait, I missed that. By no, if you took the, the, drivers in the Xfinity field and all and and put them in trucks and and said okay we're going to see how they run in trucks as a way to determine who's going to run good in a cup car then I could see that as being what he meant or what or I could I could find that as a way to agree with him mm-hmm. but under no circumstances am I saying to to prioritize performance in the truck series over Xfinity to pick your next driver. Yeah. Um, because the depth of talent in the truck series is not even close to the depth of talent in the Xfinity series. 
So I mean, that I agree with. You know, just because you have a top that just because you have a top five average finish in trucks doesn't I don't think is translates just simply because of the competitiveness in the series. It's just the Xfinity series is way more competitive. There's more talent there. Uh, I'm not saying that the I'm not trying to take anything away from truck series racers that there aren't talented drivers or that any any particular truck driver can't hold a candle to an Xfinity driver. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that the field is deeper in Xfinity. Just like the field and cup is deeper than Xfinity. Xfinity is mm-hmm. deeper than trucks. Like that's just, um, I, I think that's, to me, that's pretty obvious, but I get what he's saying in terms of the cars, the way, maybe the way the cars race because of the on throttle time and the way, you know, the drafting and the, um, at intermediate tracks and things like that. I guess I could maybe see what he means there. Um, but I don't know if that, to me, that would translate to saying, okay, let's look to the truck series for the next batch of um, Cup Series talent. Um, but I don't know. It's an interesting take. Yeah. I probably um, just talked myself into a hole by making this absolute <laughs> statement of how much deeper the Xfinity Series talent is than the truck series. And I'm going to find all of the truck series stands just flame me on social media wherever they are <laughs> and be like, oh, are you kidding me? What about Carson Hotsmar? What about this guy? What about that guy? Ah. <laughs> and it's going to be like, I wasn't saying any of those guys aren't good. Hey, man, I'm just, it's, it's like I always like to say, if, uh, you know, if Arca was the Cup Series, I'd have a jet. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, they should just be looking back at, they should be looking at 2009 Arca performances <laughs> to determine who should drive today's cup cars. And if they did, yes, they would please. just put Parker, Parker Kligerman in one. That would just be so easy. Thank you. So, uh, I think my win percentage is like 47%. I don't know. Something like that. Um, <laughs> so I find it really easy <laughs> to win there. And I think trucks. Yeah, you know what? I've won all the race my races in NASCAR and trucks. So yeah, trucks is so much more competitive. It's such a harder place to win. <laughs> Absolutely not. I I yep. I don't agree. I think they're all very difficult. I think the Xfinity series is in an unbelievable spot uh, in terms of competitiveness and especially in your top cars in terms of the talent level. I mean, multiple Cup winners and and all that stuff. It just cup drivers and and cup level quality and cup level quality teams i think you can't discount that that the teams are cup level quality one thing i'll say about the trucks the equipment is very very close yes but in no way Mm -hmm. would the teams that are able to win races be even remotely capable of taking a cup car and competing at the daytona 500 whereas many of the Xfinity Mm -hmm. teams would or are already cup teams right so i just think i think that's a odd thing and to before say. anybody takes offense and before anybody takes offense to that statement the a mm-hmm. truck series budget is a third of a competitive xfinity series budget exactly so it's just by seriously by by pure dollars um it's those you know those teams are are well behind an xfinity team uh there's a lot of talented people there obviously that could easily be xfinity series crew chiefs and and crew members um, yep. But just the operations of those teams themselves are a third of the size of even your any give any single one of your top ten Xfinity teams. Well, and if there's listeners out there that disagree with our points or want to tell us, let us know in the YouTube comments of this episode or in the I don't know where else you can reach out to us. Reach out to us uh, at the Money Lap, wherever, and or our social medias. I'm sure this will get clipped. And let us know what you think because I'm uh, that's an interesting discussion. Uh, let's move on. So Martin Truex Jr. announced he is coming back in one of the Ooh. funniest ways to announce it by just literally in a media center, be like, oh, yeah, I'm coming back, by the way. 
He also <laughs> is getting his cake and eating it too. Hold on. He did buy the boat as well, I'm told. So he basically got the boat. He gets to race again. I mean, life's good if you're Martin Truex Jr., basically the fastest guy in the NASCAR Cup Series right now. Um, yeah, all going well for him. Can I make another bottom signal sign? What's that? Um, the driver di- did the driver have that much control over the process that he himself is able to just announce it in a press conference? <laughs> in the last five years, what driver had that much control over whether he comes back or not? That they're literally he's the only person that they talk the media talked to to find out, and we're just waiting on him to decide. Is that another driver bottom signal? Yeah, well, I think he can. He's that, a unique that he case. Was in control of the process. I don't know if he was in control of. I I don't know anything about the process. All I know is the same thing that everybody else sees on social media. That it's just like every week it's asking Martin, and Martin basically saying that he hasn't decided yet. <laughs> and then and then Martin, they didn't put together. There wasn't a big press release. It wasn't you know Joe Gibbs going out and saying what Joe Gibbs decided to do. <laughs> it was Martin saying, oh, yeah, I'm coming back. And I bought the boat, even though <laughs> I don't know if anybody cares about his boat. <laughs> but apparently that was a big part of the deal. So, Martin, I'm happy for you or sad that that happened. I don't know um, about the boat. <laughs> I don't know, man. Maybe he had to come back just to uh, be able to pay off the boat for all we know. I don't know. <laughs> That's probably it. <laughs> Oh, He's like, I'll give you guys one more year because I bought this really expensive boat. Maybe I'll just go win a little bit more at the top of the sport. And, uh, yeah, that'll pay this thing off, and then I'll see you later. So I don't know. I don't know. Um, Parker, um, SVG, is, SVG yeah. is racing a truck at IRP this weekend. And <sighs> I got to say that, that is a, that's a tough – that's going to be a hard <laughs> track to figure out on that that's short a bold notice move. driving the it's a bold move. Good for good for him. It would be interesting to watch. Um, if he, I think, I think it'll be just as hard, if not harder, for him to run top five in that race this weekend as it will be the Cup race itself. Um, so I, I think harder. Think. I think harder. Uh, I think honestly, truly harder. One a a low grip, short track surface that has immense tire wear flat so there's not a lot of banking to hold the the truck i mean you, you know getting to the slip angle of the tire and just all the things he's going to need to understand i mean that's gonna be really really tough um you don't you know it's an awkward yep. place because you know the way just the layout of the place in terms of how you be in the infield and you know the, the, he's gonna I, he's done some actually he's done some oval racing sprint cars and that sort of stuff so i he's not gonna be a total duck out of water but you know, it's gonna be that's gonna yeah, be really it's tough still to the tire. I mean, I, yeah, we're still going back to the traditional mindset of coming out of other disciplines of racing and getting into a NASCAR's type stock car, right? Um, and so the the only thing is, like, he's a world class driver that's going into a NASCAR truck. Um, yep. I'm trying to think of the last time we've seen like a world class driver take their first shot at you know, a truck, but even, you know, short trackers and stuff, they do well. Um, I mean, actually, especially lately, there's been a lot of short trackers that hop into trucks and Xfinity cars and run really well right away. But even short trackers that are familiar with this style of racing, 
um, hop in these cars and trucks and they, you know, it takes some time to figure out what this tire wants and, and how to find the limit of it, how to manage it. Like you said, there's a lot of fall off. It's very abrasive. So, um, it'll be it that to me, that's a, that's an entertaining, that'll be an entertaining thing to watch him navigate that. Um, and, and then obviously, you know, I think he'll, he'll spend his time at IRP and he will probably be relieved to go to the big track, <laughs> um, and find himself back in a cup car. Cause I think that that will be way more comfortable for him, um, than trying to find his way in a truck. Well, and according to Denny Hamlin, he'll be up against the true test of talent, uh, in the truck series. So that'll be, that'll be <laughs> difficult. <laughs> Yeah. Let's move into Formula One yep. uh, and continue our lovely dissection of the team principles within this uh, wonderful sport that is Formula One in series. Speaking With this great of recurring themes on the show, yeah. Well, they just have they just you, you said it. They made themselves the show, and so guess what? We now need to dive into everything they say because it. Some of it is incredible. Um, yeah. This week's award uh, for best quotes from team principals in Formula One goes to James Valls, Foles, sorry, uh, who is the team principal at William F1. And he came over there from uh, Mercedes, where he was the, uh, what was his, he was the, hold on, it was, what was his, oh, head of strategy. That's right, he was the head of strategy at Mercedes. So he gets this opportunity to go over uh, to Williams and try to, you know, bring them to the front. And I think he's really figured out when he saw what happened to Altmar Staffauer how to ensure his job security for at least the next half decade. And that is putting out uh, <laughs> quotes like <laughs> that it will take them most likely five years to get to full fruition and see if there are all the things he's put in place are going to be mm. uh, are working. So I love that idea of putting it out there publicly that you need five years to see the things you're doing now pay off. Wonderful forward right. thinking by him. Uh, so a little bit of background on this before we <laughs> dive into that part. Absolutely masterful, <laughs> masterful strategic thinking. Five years to save, <laughs> save for his house on Lake Como. Um, <laughs> just, this, this, you know, yes. the, so the important as a team principal. <laughs> <laughs> it's so important as a team principal in F1 to, you know, keep your, your team owner's expectations under control, help your team owner understand that you're going to have to go through seven drivers and two engine changes and, you know, at least one sponsor bankruptcy before you get fired, <laughs> before it's your fault. So, <laughs> so, you know. uh, and a little bit of background on this, how did this come about? So Williams has been asking, the F1 committee and essentially the teams and so on and so forth uh, to have an increase in their capital capital expenditure uh, budget so that they can improve their factory and their facilities, uh, which has not been granted yet. And their reasoning for this and for you in finance, this is also called CapEx for all you finance bros out there uh, and ladies. So the reason they're asking for this is that there is provisions within the budget caps that allow teams to make massive structural uh, upgrades. You know, maybe it's a wind tunnel or it is a simply the factory in which they work in, right? And Williams, his, basically his reasoning has been that they are vastly behind uh, the other teams in that sense. You know, they've been woefully underfunded for a better part of a decade and therefore have fallen so far behind that within the current budget cap they can't possibly do the 
upgrades that they need to their facilities, to their infrastructure, to their processes. And he goes really deep into all of that. And so, it, yes, I can give him, you know, uh, there obviously is some, uh, there's a lot of merit to what he's saying about the timetable. And he said, you know, many of these things, if we said go now, couldn't be together, in, you know, at least for 24 to 36 months uh, before they'd even come online. So I, I get that. He's also big about culture. Um, which is one of his things that he felt like Mercedes had a no blame culture and that Williams has a lot of work to do and that it takes time to change 800 people uh, and how they work together and the culture around that. So I see that, but to your point, five years, that's at least three or four drivers, uh, what two technical directors and the possibility of at least one to two (laughs) engine manufacturer changes. So he's definitely bought himself great insulation. Uh, and job security to make to see if those uh, changes can pay off. They have not gotten the approval for those capex improvements, um, and there's no timetable yet on when they will. So we'll see. Something to follow. Those uh, those approvals are that's an interesting thing. I'd never really I didn't really know that or thought of that under the cost you know the cost cap. We talk about spending cap as a, being a really interesting solution to leveling the field and. Uh, um, and maintaining competitiveness in, in Formula One, but um, I didn't think about it in terms of them just simply not having the infrastructure and needing to sort of exceed the spending cap to to build up their infrastructure. Um, I don't know. That's I don't know. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Well, I didn't really come. I didn't. I didn't really come to a point. I didn't really come to a point there. But um, <laughs> but I just that kind of surprised. Yeah. Thanks for no, wasting all of on. our time. No, 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 definitely. Thank yeah. you for wasting our time. Great one. Uh, IndyCar. Big announcement this past weekend uh, around the Big Machine Music City Grand Prix um, in, for IndyCar that they will be the season finale in a three-year deal and that uh, the, they're going to be doing a new course that will incorporate Broadway. So Broadway being the uh, street that if you've ever been there has Tootsies and all the incredible bars and looks like absolute mayhem on a Friday or Saturday, like Vegas hit the Southeast (laughs) uh, is Broadway. So pretty cool. And also I just got to say awesome group that puts that together. That might be Scott Borchetta and Big Machine, like Big Machine Racing that I race for. So kudos to them. Incredible event. It's going to be even more amazing Um, and in no way – was I uh, not paid to say that? So, <laughs> <laughs> hey, I have an interesting. I want to get serious. I want to get serious about this for what? just a second. What's I have that? A, an unfounded theory, but I'm just looking at. I'm just. I'm thinking about the competitiveness between IndyCar and NASCAR and fighting for market share in this in this, you know, U.S. market. Um, and we can so- say all we want about how we are, you know, like brothers and, you know, we all tide rising, lifting all boats, yada, 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 great motorsports. And I believe in that. I love IndyCar. We're big fans. We're going to talk about it. But let's be real. IndyCar and NASCAR, two completely different entities. They're fighting for market, for motorsports market share in the U.S., right? Wouldn't you say so? Yeah. To some degree? In some respects. Yeah. I think Formula One's more the competitor. Is IndyCar... But- is- is IndyCar kind of encroaching on NASCAR, like a NASCAR opportunity by having so much, like really sinking their teeth into Nashville like this? Because NASCAR's trying to get into Nashville too. Um, is this IndyCar <laughs> being a step ahead of NASCAR in like 
I, you know, kind of planting their flag in, in Nashville? Or does it matter? Maybe it doesn't matter. I don't know. Maybe there's room, <sighs> maybe there's room in Nashville for IndyCar and NASCAR. I think, I think Nashville is, but is it for, yeah, I don't think it's the old honky tonk. There's, you know, this town ain't big enough for the both of us sort of saying, uh, see what I did there. Mm-hmm. But no, I, I think, That's I think one. there's absolutely room for both. I think this is just like Vegas, right there. Nashville is becoming, mm-hmm. it's just an absolute boom town and therefore it can support it's all this. And I think, I really think it can support two NASCAR races and IndyCar race. No problem. Like, I really do. Now I don't want to see, you know, I will I hope whatever NASCAR chooses to do there in the years to come, it stays special because it's a really special place to go. And I, I enjoy going there and I think it's a really cool town. Um, and going twice would be awesome for us, but I hope it, you know, we don't go twice and sort of ruin the luster yeah. of it all, if that makes sense. And I think that grand prix, so I love that track they had. And this one looks pretty cool as well. I, I think those are some pretty cool street circuits. And I'm not just saying that because obviously I know the group that puts it on. I, I really genuinely think those are cool. And, it uh, it's put on good shows for indie cars, which is not always an easy thing to do. Um, so I think they've had good designs and they've had tons of series and Trans Am and SRO and all sorts of groups there. So I think it's a really really cool event. And you know, for there be their season's finale and their street course, I love that. I think that is a very cool decision. And to be Nashville was a really smart decision for IndyCar. Yeah. So let's talk about another competing series, which, you know, mm. maybe not now um, isn't competing, but maybe, you know, potentially a thorn in NASCAR's side. Uh, and we talked on a pod last week how we would, you know, dive into a racing series. Last week we talked about F- uh, Formula E. This week, let's talk about SRX. Um, and, and by the way, I want to tee this up, and I'm going to kind of throw it back to you. But, like, I'm going to tee this up by saying we, we wanted to talk about XR- SRX, and both you and I were pretty critical to begin with. Um, myself really at the end of the day, my question is like, I don't get it. I don't get SRX. <laughs> I don't know what their purpose is. Um, I don't, I don't know what, I just don't get it. Right. Um, uh, but we both watched the race at Berlin. I think you shared the same question. We both watched a race at Berlin. What, you know, what are your thoughts? Let's talk about SRX. So I think that's the best way to sum it up. I don't understand why. And so, and I, I, I guess, you know, if it was called the short track racing experience, then I get it, right? Then I get what you're trying to do. Let's go, let's yeah. go bring a big national show to some short tracks during the summer with some big NASCAR names, right? And occasional interlopers from the open wheel world or that sort of thing, right? But it's not, it's called superstar racing experience, right? And it's, it's. It's not, you know, I thought when it started, it's IROC 2.0. All right, cool. It's going to be the International Race of Champions. But they just go to a bunch of short tracks. So it's not the International Race of Champions, right? It, it's just. And it's it, not all superstars, right? It's more no. celebrity races. Like, it's, they're, they're good racers. Like, I'm not trying to take anything away. But, I mean, you know, like, Ken Schrader's a legend, right? Yep. And he absolutely should be. You know, he he is a draw at a lot of these short tracks. Um, but if you're trying to make IROC 2.0, I don't know if having, you know, if if Haley Deegan is your driver for that, right? And and so I, I get what you're saying there. It's just like, so it, that that's why my question was like originally I don't get it I don't get what it's for or what it, what they're trying to do now I will say I watched one 
I watched the one at Berlin, mm-hmm. and um, I was entertained. <laughs> and I know you Don't didn't watch the entire race. I watched the entire race. You watched leading up to the race, so there were some rain delays. I actually watched the, the feature. You know, I didn't watch any of the pre-race. I didn't watch any heat races, but I watched the feature, flag-to-flag, 100-lap race. Kyle Busch won. Um, and it was weird because I, I was entertained. And... And it wasn't even like I would say it was kind of good. It was a good race, and there was good racing, but it wasn't a pure race, right? They have these kind of fun cautions, um, and you know they basically threw a couple yellows within the last twenty laps of the race just for the hell of it, you know, to get the field back together to make sure there was a, as good of a finish as possible. Like that's not pure. That's not real racing. Um, but I was still entertained because it was like I got to see some competitiveness in these you know really good drivers brad keselowski and kyle bush in the field they were still competitive um but then they were in a different they were just in a different environment than we're used to seeing them and you know joey logano talking to kyle bush on the radio during the race while i'm not usually <laughs> a fan of that like we, when we see that on iRacing racing and stuff like that i think that that's super corny and stupid in a real serious competitive race, I was entertained by it in SRX, right? Because it wasn't a serious race. I mean, I'm sorry if I'm offending anybody by saying this, but it's just like, it wasn't a serious race. It was competitive, right? Like Kyle Busch, it's, I, I think it's impossible for Kyle Busch not to take any race seriously that he's in, but that was almost the entertaining part of it. It was just like, I get to see Kyle Busch being entertaining, or I'm sorry, being competitive and in trying to win a race, but also trying to win a race that doesn't matter, right? So yep. we get to talk to him during the race, and we get to hear him strategize a little bit, and, and you know, and it's lighthearted. And, I, and then I can imagine the scene at the track. We had, you know, we had actually kind of texted with some people that were there, um, and I had gotten some feedback from, from some friends that were there. The place was packed. It sounded like it was a lot of fun. So I could see where it's like, it's almost like... Um, you get to take these drivers that you know and love and you watch them every single weekend on NASCAR or, you know, IndyCar or whatever, get them out of their environment and get to, you know, maybe see them more as a person, but then also still see them do what they're good at doing. Right. It's not like we got, Mm -hmm. it's not like we're meeting Kyle Busch at a golf tournament or at a, you know, at a charity golf event. Um, we're getting, we're still getting to see him as a race car driver. Um, but it's just in an environment where there's a lot less pressure. He's he's way more. He's probably way more, you know, enjoyable to be around, sign autographs, and I, I don't know. It just seems that's that's the part after watching SRX. I'm like, okay, this is cool. I get that. Um, and I think that for as long, if that's what they're trying to accomplish, and maybe if that's what they're business model has shifted to because remember like you said we were originally kind of sold as this being iroc 2.0 right but it's like the purpose of iroc was to take the world's best drivers at the time and put them in equal equipment and see who wins right yep. on the world's best tracks well this is not what's happening with srx <laughs> they're not taking the world's best drivers at the in current time and putting them in equal cars and, and competing them on them at the world at world class facilities, they're going to short tracks and they're taking some celebrity drivers and some current you know uh, world class drivers, and they're they're creating a show out of it that's entertaining. And for so, that, if that is the goal, 
I'm entertained. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting. I'm not sure how many, you know, how much of it I'll watch a lot, but I was I was thoroughly entertained with what I saw. And I think that is interesting because what you said in that it's a non it's a not serious race, right? And that's probably where I run into the roadblock of that I watch a lot of racing around the world from Formula E to supercars to NASCAR to Formula 1 to IndyCar sports cars and obviously it's all serious right and then here's something that's trying to have a bit of fun and i i don't mind that in any respect right i actually think the broadcast side they do a tremendous job in terms of innovative styles and you know things that they bring in and gadgets and tech from the light up helmet and tony stewart to the drone that follows the cars around and that sort of thing and they do a great job of that and i really really applaud them for the show and i think your point of why you're entertained is it's a good show. It's a hell of a show. But I And those are the things you can do when it's not a serious race. Well, and yes, but I do believe, you know, maybe this is more of a question for you because I don't don't think I fully flesh out my mind what would be needed, but I think back to those IROC days. And IROC was not perfect in its, you know, its last years. It was very NASCAR-centric and NASCAR-heavy. But if I think to like a regional IROC, right, it was like – they went to different tracks, and it was a couple races in the summer that was, to your point, best drivers in the world at that time come together in equal machinery. Who's the best for a big prize? You know, that when we got to the NASCAR era of IROC, when it was the Crown Royal deal and it was towards the end, you know, it was a million-dollar prize for, what, four or five races? It was right. a big deal. Um, and Mark Mart was good, and you have the old Dale Earnhardt stories and, and amazing stories of guys like Unser and and I'm trying to think of other IndyCar guys that raced against Dale Earnhardt or Sebastian Bourdais, you know, bump drafting with Jimmy Johnson down Daytona. And it was like, whoa, all the worlds were mixing together and this was so cool. And, you know, the poor IndyCar guys were in a massive uphill battle because the stock car guys were basically driving a stock car. But it's like, what is the modern version of that? And instead of this fun short track experience – should you know the energy and time and everything that's being put into this imagine if you were doing that with a slightly more serious big prize iraq like that to me would then be like whoa i gotta watch that i gotta see that and you know i've seen some people that are like let's get srx to lime rock and i think that'd be so cool because they should do a road course or something but then it's like well that doesn't really fit their model you know because it wouldn't be serious and it's like well that's too serious of a venue for that so i think it is well, I don't it's, think nothing. I mean, hang on. This isn't a knock ahead. on Lime Rock. I think I think Lime Rock would be a perfect venue to continue this theory, this this current model that they're in. Right? It's a short mm-hmm. track, like it's a short road course. It's a hometown course. You know, I mean, obviously it's outside a huge market, um, and and maybe doesn't have a, isn't used to drawing huge hometown crowds like a track that has a weekly racing series. Yep. Um, but you could still, I mean, it could be a destination event where people want to come camp for it for a couple of days. It's beautiful. Um, and then the track is also small enough that you're not, the drivers aren't, you know, risking their lives to race these cars in a fun manner like they would if you tried to do this event at Road Atlanta, you know? <laughs> I don't know. Lime Rock can be pretty um, fast. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's Here's true. My th- I mean, can but, I say two things? Can, well, hold on. Can I say two things? Because yeah. I, I really, I really, I'm passionate about this. I, I think there's another series out there that I wanted to dive a little deeper into, but I'm not going to because just we're, we've got too much, we've run too much on this. But 
and it, I'm more focused on SRX, but Travis Pastrana, our buddy, does that Nitro Rally Cross, which is now a thousand horsepower electric cars. And I, I sit there and mm-hmm. I think these two entities, if you took all the effort and time between these two and you create a series that did the night the rally cross track, then it did oval, and then it did road course, and we did six of them in the summer, and you got the biggest names, and it was a two million dollar prize to win. How cool would that be? Maybe it's electric and combustion yeah. engines. Maybe it's a mix. Like that's the thing. You know, like SRX. Am I gonna occasionally tune in when I'm nothing else to do? Sure, I'm gonna check it out. Uh, but I'm, you know, I do I. I, I personally just like you. It's like I'm not going to catch everyone, whatever. But when yeah. I th- in, and Nitro Rallycross, unfortunately, and I say this, I love Rallycross. I think it's such a cool event, and I love the Global Rallycross deal when it was here. For whatever reason, Rallycross in America does not work. It has not worked, and it just continues to not be something that's going to get on the national consciousness. And they get crowds, and they get people that are into that world. But you're not going to, you know, it's going to be very tough for it to continue to become part of like the idea of mm-hmm. uh, a core motorsport in America. But if you took some of the thing, amazing things they do and SRX and you can match it all together, now that's a series to me that would be very, very interesting. Uh, let me make a quick assessment. Uh, uh, I don't have, uh, this is just a total theory because I don't have a lot of knowledge of the, cha- the business challenges and the fundraising challenges that SRX has. Is, has. Um, but let me just make a quick hypothesis around the difference between SRX going down a path of being a serious racing series where it's a million dollars to win and the drivers have a huge reward because we're trying to be this unique racing series where we just put the drivers on an equal playing field and find out who's the best, right? Or SRX is a entertainment piece, right? And it's fun and it's invite only and it's, you know, there's... um, there's, it's not a serious race. There's not a huge prize. It's just fun, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Where it's currently, where at least our perception of where it's currently at right now, which, you know, Donald Hawk and the whole team over there could be completely <laughs> floored by how we're describing their series right now. <laughs> um, I, I have Oops. no idea. But but my perception Sorry, of it being a an, enter, an entertainment piece, right? Um, an entertainment piece. It's not a serious race. They're just trying to have a good time. They're trying to show, you know, professional drivers in a positive light. If that, you know, under that model, I wonder if if they're able to afford to get all of these drivers to come race because of that model. Where if they were going down the route of it being serious, right, where there's a prize and the, the drivers are going to be taking it seriously, that that is just expensive, right? You're going to have to yep. pay the drivers to get there, or you're, you're going to have to come up with the money to put up a million-dollar cash prize for this thing. And the drivers are going to they're gonna consider the risks, right? Whether yep. it's the physical risks or the career risks, um, you know, the challenge, the, the focus of doing it all, like having to race and be, you know, having another racing event that they got to, that they got to prepare for and think about and care about that's expensive right mm-hmm. where i mean it's it's our understanding with little industry inside knowledge that the that Kyle Bush isn't getting paid a whole hell of a lot of money to go do SRX nope i don't 
I mean, you and I kind of talked to somebody that might know about this and, and our feedback from that was that he wasn't, it's not like he was getting paid a hundred thousand dollar appearance fee. Nope. To go do this. Yep. Yep. That these guys are doing it really because it's fun. I suppose, I guess that's the pitch, right? Maybe they got an opportunity <laughs> to bring some of their own partners on board and help pay for it. They're not getting a whole lot of money. I mean, I'm, they're probably getting the paint, their plane paid for so they can get in and out pretty quickly and easily midweek. Um, and it doesn't, you know, encroach on their responsibilities. But, like, I don't think they're getting a whole lot of money. So in order for them to do it for cheap, it has to be fun and lighthearted and lo- no pressure and just come and be yourself and, you know, you're here for four hours and you can leave, yep. right? So yep. maybe that's where, maybe even though, you know, originally we were told and maybe originally the vision was SRX is going to be IROC 2.0, maybe it they can't get to that point yet because it takes a lot of money to do that. Hmm. It's a good point. Yeah, I think financially, um, you know, what I'm discussing could just be too big an undertaking. And to your point, like, and too much in line with everything else out there. And they've identified the niche that it needed to be fun and a little bit more lighthearted and a bit show, you know, more about the show to to have the opportunity to be on and ESPN people, like, and CBS and that sort of thing, right? And to, to be and let, the pitch, like, hey, this is more fun. Specific. Let's be specific about what that means. SRX showed me a part of Kyle Busch and a part of Joey Logano and Brad Keselowski for at least just that couple-hour show, the 100-lap race. They showed me a, a, a bit of their personalities and expressions that we don't get to see on a regular NASCAR weekend. Yeah. They're they're being um, you know, I, they're, that they're was too serious. Cool. Yeah, they're serious jobs. Yeah, because they're it's almost like, and that's fine. I mean, that's well, we, we that's why we tune into NASCAR. We want to see championship racing. We want to see the world best drivers. But you know, those guys are people too, and it is fun to kind of see what their personalities are like. It's you know the rain delay coverage, or rain fill that I always make fun of that we do in TV when it's raining and we go and interview every driver and we do things like this past weekend, we had Harrison Burton and and Austin Sindrick going back and forth and some banter between Kim and I. And it's funny because you'll do all this and you'd be like, who's watching this, right? Like what? And then you look at the ratings (laughs) and it's like 2.6 million people watched and they stayed the whole time. And because it's the most interesting thing to them because they see a side to the drivers and the crews that they just don't see on a normal weekend. Right. And that's why that rain fill, TV is entertaining and it captures an audience because it's a glimpse into uh, a more jovial and relaxed atmosphere than is normal. Right. And so, yeah, maybe, maybe that's part of the pitch is like, Hey, we're going to bring rain fill sentiment (laughs) to racing on a Thursday night. With the race going on. Yeah. With the race going on. And that's going to be fun. So, you know what? (laughs) We'll see where Asterix goes. It's I will give them more props on being on Thursday night. I think that's super cool. You know, the old Thursday night thunder mantra, um, which is awesome. And, you know, I think I really I also really liked when they had the, you know, local short track hero uh in the races. I thought that was a cool storyline mm-hmm. when they first it started. It sounds out. like I they're bringing that, that back. Yeah, and it sounds like they're bringing it back. So that that's that's cool. I think that's something they need to keep because it really seemed like uh, something that, that that genuinely got my interest when I saw those guys competing. So, uh, before we go, last thing I want to jump into, uh, that is that we're going to Indianapolis this upcoming weekend. My probably the track I say is the most important motorsport, uh, or most important track in in motorsports, um, for many reasons. But one of my favorite places in all of motorsports, and I just 
relish every opportunity to do anything racing there, uh, let alone get to race. I've always said if I could win a foot race there, it would mean more than probably any other win I have. So <laughs> uh, I love that place. I can't wait. But one thing we're going to do on the Money Lap channels this week is put out another one of those cool qualifying stories. And when we were discussing it, you said, you know, there was a, uh, the Q run in 2013 Cup Series when you were driving for the 40 car, the Hillmans, um, was one of the most mm-hmm. what important qualifying laps of your career, um, and I just thought it'd be cool for I want to what's what's the what's the background of that story? <laughs> well, it was, for me, it was 2014 actually. Oh, 2014. Sorry. Um, yep, that was 2014. I think in the in the 40 car because um, we were talking about this. I think you would show we in our group message you'd sent like a clip of Ryan Newman's pole run. I guess I want to get some of the dates right, um, but regardless, well, that, the the reference yeah. that I was making. Um, the no, I want to make this. I want to get this right here. I'm pulling look up, it up. I'm pulling up the race. Because... Now we can't. We, look at us. We always say we can remember years so well, and then uh, you can't. So the, I the, know. Well, we were talking about 2013 originally because that's the Ryan Newman lap uh, that we're going to put out there, which was just an unbelievable lap. And at the time, was the track record, which then got beat by the next year by uh, Kevin Harvick, I believe. But uh, it was such a cool lap, and there's a cool story behind it. So we're going to tell that story, but. I think you might, yeah. So you might be referencing 2014 when you drove for the Hillmans, correct? 2014 was the one that stood out for me. Yeah, that was when Kevin Harvick um, qualified on the pole. 20, 2014 for me. Why am I? No, that was no, that was 2013. Why am I getting this wrong? 2013. <laughs> oh man, I'm I'm completely blowing this thing. Hold on, pause for just <laughs> pause this stupid show for just a second. <laughs> We're not I, pausing. We're not pausing. Now you got to figure this out in real time. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, it, it, that was 2013. Golly, I'm getting old. <laughs> I'm I am getting old. I can't even remember years. It was 2013, and here I am. We're gonna make a big deal about how how important that was. It was 2013. Um, that was, see, that was, that was a, that was like a career changing lap for me. Um, it was 2014 that kind of was the cap 2014 racing my way into the Daytona 500 was like the, the, the cherry on top of what started at Indy in 2013. And that was our first attempt with the 40 car at Hillman racing. Wow. And, and, you know, it, it was kind of one of those situations where Mike Hillman, you know, we wanted to get this second car going. We kind of needed to, um, because at the time, you know, in the cup series for those small teams, sometimes you had to run two cars just to pay for one. And, um, you know, we needed sponsorship. We needed to, we needed to find, uh, some funding from maybe another driver or something to run a second car so we could build up, you know, our organization. And so the, the, as a true racer does it, and Mike Hillman, the only way to do it is to take a gamble. And so he invested the money to build a car for Indy, um, lease a motor, and, you know, spend the money because there was a big prize to make the field at Indy. I think it was, at the time, it was like 180000 to start the race or something like that. Yep. And it was almost like it was just a little bit behind Daytona. And, you know, he knew if we could make the race at Indy, um, you know, we would come up with some sponsorship too, and then we would start attempting some more races and, and try to build it up from there, going to the end of the season, um, get your attempts up and then go to Daytona and try to make the race in Daytona. And at the same time, be able to sell the other car 
to, you know, another driver or sponsorship to kind of build the organization up. So we went to Indy kind of with a do or die mentality because if we missed the race at Indy, it would have been a failed project and it would have been difficult, you know, to recover from that. And so it's funny how as a driver, like all these things, and you know, I knew, you know, obviously I knew this going into it. I knew this at the time, the position we were in, but as a driver, you have so many situations where it's like so many things boil down to one forty-nine second lap. Yep. yep. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, um, and we, you know, I, I, the course of the weekend, we were solid from the get go. We unloaded off the truck with speed. India has always been a great track for me. Um, for qualifying and for racing, I just always run well there. So, you know, I don't want to, we were never out of the picture. We faced our challenges, but like the car, we were good enough from the get go as a matter of maintaining that. Um, but it's just so great. Funny to me how, how much that sticks out of my memory, that lap, how important that lap was down to the point that I was, I knew I was fast enough to make the field. I just didn't, I needed to not screw it up. And my focus was the exit of turn two because at that time, and, and I think this, the track is still probably this way, but it, you know, the time of day that we were qualifying, the way those cars drove, the way the tire fell off over the course of a one lap run. Cause yes, there is tire fall off on the, over the course of a one lap run, um, with your out lap and the, and the, you know, the, on your money lap, really, um, you, there, there was like more grip off of turn four than there was turn two. And it, I don't know if the track was cooler over there in turn four, but you would come to the green and you would just have so much grip in turn four and you'd go into turn one. And if you tried to drive turn two, like you drove turn four coming to green, you would miss the corner every time. And I was so close to that. I was so close to missing it in practice. I knew that I just, needed to not get greedy but the hard part about qualifying at indy is you pick up like a second from practice to qualifying so yep. it's hard to say it's hard to tell yourself i can't be greedy in qualifying when you have to pick up a second so you can't just simply go do what you did in practice because if you did what <laughs> you did in practice you would be a second off so there's this real fine line between I've got to find a second, but not more than a second, because if I get too greedy off a of turn, you know, particularly in turn two, um, it's catastrophic down the backstretch. So I just remember feeling what I felt coming off turn four, knowing that the car was good, but not, you know, that there wasn't an, an, you know, an egregious amount of grip out there for me going through turn one and being like, okay, it's good. And then being in the short shirt and shoot in turn two and turning off the wall into turn two at Indy and being like, I have to lift, I have to lift, I have to slow down, I have to back up my corner, I cannot overdrive this corner. And just sort of taking that chance of like, all right, I'm backing up this corner and focusing on exit and doing it and nailing it, going down the back stretch, hitting turn three and four. And, you know, I think we qualified 29th that day which was huge for that team at the time and our resources and obviously locked us in the show you know, easily. Um, and that's what, um, that's what took us, you know, from being a start and park team to, to a real race team over the course of the next two years. Wow. That's awesome. Well, I, uh, I love that. And hopefully I can have a great indie memory this coming weekend. I think that's it for the pod, man. Good stuff. See ya. 
Thank you so much for listening to The Money Lab. Please subscribe and review us on your platform of choice. And be sure to join our newsletter for the best five minutes in motorsports delivered directly to your email inbox every Tuesday and Thursday. And you know what? We love bringing you all this content for free. So what do we ask for? simply for you to subscribe and to let us know every single thing we are doing wrong. If you want to leave us those sorts of opinions, please go over to YouTube, subscribe there, and leave us comments in the comment sections below the videos. We might just respond. We might put you on the next podcast. Most of all, we just love the feedback, even when it's really mean. Thank you for listening.